Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Thank you for having me, LifePoint Church, on this special occasion, this Orphan Sunday, and it is a great opportunity to be able to steward God's Word with you this morning, and uh, I hate to tell you, but I'm actually going to look back at the last five weeks and what y'all have been studying, and we're going to talk about uh, these topics again. Not not really, but we are going to build on what you've heard over the last five weeks Because I think so much of what you've been talking about as a faith family really does build up on our response to care for orphans, vulnerable children, and vulnerable women. And so I want us to see that this morning through Psalm 139. And quickly, I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, Like your pastor said, my name is Herbie Newell, and I have the distinct privilege of leading a ministry. And I've led that ministry for the last 20 years called Lifeline Children's Services. Uh, Lifeline is based here in Alabama, but we uh, serve in 18 different states. We serve vulnerable children and vulnerable women in all 50 states, as well as 41 nations around the world. And so one of the, the hopes this morning on Orphan Sunday is not only would you see a biblical call to care, but that as well we would begin to take our first step. And so as a, as a way of introduction and not to put anyone on the spot, you know, the last time I had the opportunity to be here, I had just gotten back from China and uh, we had rescued this little girl out of an orphanage that literally had blue lips. She's aspirating and probably was not going to live. She's now one of your church members. Um, and so, and the other thing is even in between the services, I met a young lady who came and gave me her testimony and she's now... Uh, she's, she's now involved in four times a year around the world. Well, again, I want us to look this morning, if you've got your Bible, at Psalm 139. And uh, as you've been walking through biblical manhood and, and biblical womanhood and looking at family, I thought this would be an appropriate time for us to spend our time this morning as looking at God's pro-life character, looking at the way that, that God ultimately loves his people. And this is one of the many scriptures we go to when justifying our pro-life commitment. And David here in this song is, is showing us that being pro-life Defending life is ultimately not a political statement. It's a gospel-saturated, biblical statement. We defend life because ultimately we know that that life is made, created, knitted together by an infinitely good creator. And so this is what David is going to show us this morning, is that we defend life because life is made by God. And so As we look at Psalm 139, and before we read it, I want to ask you a question. Does the character of God comfort you, or does it ultimately scare you? You see, God's character ultimately for the Christ follower should comfort us. It should give us great comfort. I I love what Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. As a Christ follower this morning, knowing that our God is a consuming fire, it should give us great hope. It should, we should find comfort in this statement. 
If you are in Christ, we we have a confidence that cannot be shaken because we serve a God who is a consuming fire. He is sovereign. When things seem out of control, we know that he is in control. And not just, uh, just random control, but sovereign control. We serve a great God. I, I love what Matthew says in Matthew 10, verse 28 through 31. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not for you are more valuable than the sparrows. And so, beloved, this morning, I pray that as we see the pro-life character of God, as we see the character of God displayed in Psalm 139, I pray that it would give you great comfort. I pray that it would give you great boldness. And I pray that it would ultimately drive your conviction to follow the biblical pattern and care for the most vulnerable with our time, with our talents, and with our resources. And so with that, let's look at this psalm, Psalm 139, and what, what David writes in this psalm, starting in verse 1. O Lord, God's covenant name, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall guide me or lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the sea. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Five quick things that I want us to see from this passage that are results of God's pro-life character, of God's character to care for the needy, the vulnerable, to care for the orphan and the widow and the vulnerable woman and the vulnerable family. And the first is this. 
We are completely known by God. We are completely known by God. Look, this is what the psalmist says. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. He says, you discern my thoughts from afar. You are acquainted with all my ways. Beloved, we have a God that knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we say them. And he knows us better than anyone could ever know us. He knows us intimately. He knows our propensity for weakness. He knows our strengths. He knows our emotions. And he knows our fears. We have a God that knows us intimately. Now, on one hand, that's incredibly frightening to think that we have a God that thinks the things that we don't say, Lord willing the things we don't say, the things that are in our internal monologue, the hurtful things that we say, maybe about ourselves or about others. God is intimately acquainted. And on one hand, that's a frightening thing. But beloved, let me remind you that the same God who knows every thought in your mind, even the intentions of your heart, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were thinking those things, that Christ died for us. He knows us intimately. He created us and he still seeks after us. In a room this size, I know there are probably many things that are going on, maybe things that you haven't shared, maybe things you have shared. Maybe you're plagued with fear for the future or or what will come. Maybe you're grieved to a point of, of no return. Maybe you have a loved one that we've just spent Thanksgiving with that has found out that they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness or or with a sickness. I don't know what you're going through, but ultimately, beloved, know this. You are completely known by God. He knows every fear. He knows every hurt. He knows every pain. When Jesus ministered to Mary and Martha in John's gospel at the the death of their brother, John 11.35 says this. It says, Jesus wept. Now, not only is that the easiest verse to remember, if you want to use scripture memory, start there. John 11.35, Jesus wept. Really, Really easy. You can't miss it. But it also shows us the humanity of God, but it also shows us that God knew Mary and Martha. He knew their hurt. He knew their pain. He knew their fear. And he wept with them. He knows you. He weeps with you. He surrounds you. In your your moments of of weakness, in your moments of, of greatest desperation, you have a God that intimately knows you. You have a God that seeks after you. In your, in your moment of lowest failure, when you feel like no one in the world would even be able to give you a chance, the God that knows you not only gives you a chance, but he seeks after you. So Jesus wept, and, and what we see is that God intimately knows and he deeply loves the people that are created in his image. John eleven five says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Beloved, be assured this morning and let your joy be found in this, that the almighty creator knows you completely. In John eleven thirty three, 33, before Jesus weeps, it says, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Beloved, Our great God enters into our hurt. He enters into our pain. And you cannot hide from this all-knowing God. Trying to hide from God 
is like trying to play peekaboo with a toddler. Have you ever played peekaboo with a toddler? Right? <clears throat> your, 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 our hide-and-go-seek is the best. Last night, we had some folks over for the Iron Bowl, and there was a five-year-old with us, and of course, she constantly was like, can we play hide-and-go-seek? Can we play hide-and-go-seek? Why is it no fun to play hide-and-go-seek with a young child? Because they'll go in the middle of the room, and as long as they can't see you, they think they're hidden. It's like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God in the garden. They think that they can hide behind a bush, and he won't find them. Beloved, we are like toddlers trying to hide from God when we are easily seen. You cannot hide from God. There is no privacy. He has you hemmed in. And beloved, this is a good thing. This is a really good thing. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Matthew 11.28 says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let the knowledge of God be a source of comfort and accountability as we care for the broken and the needy, and we work in this pro-life ministry. You see, beloved, our God sees the need of the orphan. Even before we see the need of the child in foster care or the vulnerable family on our street, before we even realize the hurt and the pain that's caused in a world of brokenness with vulnerable children, our God knows because these children are made in his image. These women who are making a decision between life and death, who find themselves in a terrible situation, and maybe are even contemplating abortion. You see, our God knows them, and he calls us to go to them. He knows them intimately. For Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You see, beloved, God knows us intimately. He seeks us fully. And ultimately, he seeks us fully in order that we will come to him and that we will be transformed by him. And God wants to not just transform you. He wants to use you to transform the vulnerable. This gospel in us, this gospel reality that saved us and transformed us is not meant to stay in and of ourselves, but is meant to be shared, is meant to be spread the goodness of God's truth, his biblical truth. David concludes in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. That leads us to our second point of God's pro-life character that we see in this passage and that's that the presence of God is inescapable. Verse 7, the psalmist says, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? God is a, 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 our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46.1. So God is present with us everywhere we go. Where shall we flee from his presence, the psalmist said? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nowhere. We cannot flee from God's presence. Many times I, I think in life when, when hard things come to us, we think, well, God, where have you gone? Where have you, where have you gone? Why have you gone away? Why have you fleed me? Where are you, Lord? And the answer is always, I'm right here. I'm holding you. I'm caring for you. I'm comforting you. It's like the old adage I'm sure you've heard. 
the older couple's going down in a pickup truck, and they see in front of them two lovebirds, and the, the, the woman's right up next to the guy. He's hardly able to drive. They're driving down the road, and the woman looks over to her husband and said, what happened? Like, why aren't we like that? And he said, well, I didn't move. You moved, right? A lot of times that's what we are in God's presence. We're moving away from God and God's following us. He's pursuing us. We cannot run from his presence. I love what Romans chapter 8 says in verse 35 through 39. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are a sheep regarded to be slaughtered. Oh, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, beloved, we cannot outrun the presence of God. Where would you ever want to be apart from the presence of God? As a matter of fact, eternal punishment in hell is torture because it's removed, it's separated from the presence of God. Our God is a creator, sustainer, and sovereign. God is love, goodness, and purity, and his presence comforts his people. At the times of greatest comfort, We can offer the vulnerable woman as our presence. At times, the greatest source of comfort to a vulnerable child or an orphan that we can offer is our presence, is being present, is coming around them, is loving them. It's why when someone is sick and hurting, when someone is going through a hard time, it's not our words, it's our presence, it's our nearness. We have a God who is present. Our God is an ever present help in times of trouble. But that leads us to our third point, that we see God's pro-life character, and that is that we are intimately and intricately created by God, unique and abundantly special. I remember as we were, our, our habit has been to pray over our children and with our children before bed, and there was a time that our 16-year-old daughter she had mem- we were memorizing Psalm 139 as a family, and every time I look at verse 14, I can hear her little voice say, I am sealfully and wonderfully made, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Beloved, you are intimately created, unique, abundant, and special by our God. The creator of the world made you and formed you fearfully and wonderfully He made you. And because he made us, that leads us to three truths. First, men and women are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. Men and women are uniquely and wonderfully made by God. Verse 13, I formed your inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God intimately created them male and female. Genesis 1 and 2 The common refrain was, and God saw it, and it was good. He made something, and it said they saw it, and it was good. But then in verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, The Lord God said, it is not good for man man to be alone. I shall make a helper fit for him. All creation was good, but man was incomplete without woman. Beloved, if we're going to be defenders of lives, if we're going to be defenders of the image bearers of God, 
then we must not only realize that all life has worth, but we must realize that God also gifted us uniquely as men and women. You see, God's gift to humanity was a family where a husband and wife could help one another in the pursuit to glorify God. The family was the institution for human flourishing. When we operate in loving harmony with a husband nourishing his wife through leadership and a woman supporting and respecting her husband in deference to Christ, we are showing the world a picture of what it means to be truly pro-life. When when we are healthy, God-fearing families, we begin to see a picture of health, which will show the justice of the kingdom to the world. Our healthy families create strong and confident children. So beloved, don't miss it. Being pro-life means we're pro-woman, pro-child, and pro-family. May our marriages and our families reflect the Lord in such a way that pregnant women can be able to see the love of the kingdom displayed in the way that we care, and, and it gives her hope and a picture to strive for. But, but don't miss it. Satan constantly attacks the nuclear family because he knows that's the place of human flourishing. And Satan hates human flourishing. Genesis chapter 3, the attack on Adam and Eve was supremely an attack between man and his relationship with God. But secondarily, it was an attack on the family. A husband and a wife blaming one another. Enmity that enters into the family relationship. We see the relationship with Cain and Abel that, that brings us the first murder. Sin begins to not only attack our, our vertical relationship with God, but it ultimately destroys our horizontal relationships with others and our families. Satan was attacking the family in order humans would not be able to flourish. And that's why we have orphans in our world. It's because of sin. It's because of those horizontal attacks. We even have orphans and vulnerable children in our world. If it weren't for sin, we wouldn't need an orphan Sunday because we would live in harmony with one another. Children would not be neglected. Children would not need a place to go. And beloved, don't miss it. Our families, our gospel-driven families, when they're not perfect, but they're submitted to the Lord, or what God uses to bring restoration and reconciliation to the broken of the world. We must remember that men and women are uniquely made and wonderfully made by God for a huge purpose that will be used by God. But then second, humanity was created for God. Genesis 1-1 begins the Bible with this refrain, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John in his gospel in John 1 verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then we see Paul tell this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And then on in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, beloved, we were created for the glory of God and for God. You were bought with a price, and you are not your own. So to defend life is not a choice. It's not an inconvenience. It's ultimately what we've been called to do because we're not the owner and the controller of our lives. 
And so in sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, we go and defend life and care for the orphan for the glory of God. I don't know if you've ever been to Costco or Sam's on a Saturday, but one of the things they do is they give you an abundant amount of samples. And so you can literally go around Sam's or Costco and you can pick up these samples and you can eat. Now, what they don't intend is for the Ross family of nine to make lunch out of Costco or Sam's on a Saturday, right? What they're hoping that you will do is they're hoping that you will take that sample and then want to buy the 100-pound bag of whatever it is, right? They want you to make an investment in that. Like you just, oh, that's the best hot dog I've ever had. I'm going to go buy 70 of these hot dogs, right, that I'll never finish. That's what they're hoping. They want to put a sample on your mouth to make you invest further. And when we put our lives out there for the gospel, for the glory of God, for the orphan, for the vulnerable child, for the vulnerable family, for the vulnerable woman, we're putting a taste of the glory of God on the lips of those who are perishing. We're putting a taste, hoping that the Spirit of God would move in them and the Spirit of God would actually help them to invest their lives in this glorious gospel that they too would live for the glory of God. And this leads us to the third truth, which is that God supernaturally designed us to be satisfied in him and him alone. I love what Psalm 63 says. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. For I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds you, me. Oh, beloved, may we know that nothing else in this world can satisfy us. Riches, stuff, food, it all fades and goes away. Only God can satisfy. And we've been made. We've been intricately made in order that only God would satisfy our soul. And the vulnerable, the vulnerable woman today, she's been looking for everything else in the world to bring satisfaction. She's been looking for for ways to, to find hope and to find healing when there was only one that could bring absolute infinite joy, the joy of the Lord. The orphan lives in a dark world, a dark world separated from family and thriving. And what they need They don't need our stuff. They don't need a a bicycle and a a, a picket fence and a house and a cul-de-sac. They need the love of God. They need a Christian family who will bring them in and introduce them to a God who loves them. We have been made, intricately made, to be satisfied in God and God alone. 1 Corinthians 6.13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and another. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, beloved, the truth is we're far too easily pleased. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis 
in his book, The Weight of Glory. He said, our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Beloved, life in the womb is precious and life outside the womb is special. We must never mark our lives or the lives of others as an inconvenience. But we must find pure delight in Christ and in the Lord, knowing that we were meant for him. We were meant for his purposes. And so we serve him in the way that we care for the widow, for the orphan, for the vulnerable, for the vulnerable woman and the vulnerable family. The fourth truth that we see from Psalm 39 is this, that these truths spur us to defend life and promote God's justice. David says in verse 17, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. David comes to a point of understanding who he is in God, and he says, Oh, I just want to know your thoughts, God. I just want to know your ways. I just want to serve you. I want to, I want to know you. The, the question is, are we seeking the Lord and his plan for our lives and the lives of our family? Are we looking to the culture to find true meaning and definition? Or like David, are we mesmerized by the thoughts of God? One of the many ways that we begin to practically care for orphans and vulnerable children and vulnerable women is, is to seek the Lord on their behalf. I remember it was some years ago, my wife Ashley came to me and she said, you know, every night we're praying over our children and for our children. And he says, and we know that my mom and your parents are praying for our children, but we really need the body of Christ to be praying for those kids that are vulnerable, for those kids that are, are in foster care, for those kids around the world that are orphaned. Beloved, we need to join the heart of the Father in praying. And so if nothing else, I ask that you would consider to pray for the vulnerable and bring that into your prayer life, bring that into the way that you pray, is that we pray for the vulnerable, those that we may not know by name, but that God knows every hair on their head. Will we pray? Will we seek God's thoughts? Will we ask him to change us? Will we ask him to change our ways and to reorient our time, that our thoughts become his thoughts, that our ways become his ways? You see, being pro-life is not just about eliminating abortion. Being pro-life is about doing something intimately good. Being pro-life means putting our families into action. It means that we put our passions to work. It means that we, we serve in ways that maybe make us uncomfortable. And ultimately, we understand that we do this because we do it for the glory of God. I love what Paul tells the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 19, it says this, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For him, him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so 
ultimately when God's thoughts become our thoughts, we begin to be reconcilers. We begin to want to see reconciliation happen on the earth. One of the programs that Lifeline has that that I just absolutely am amazed by is a program called Families Count. And Families Count is helping vulnerable families who've lost their kids to foster care with parenting skills and life skills and job skills, be able to get on their feet and get their kids back out of foster care. You see, the goal of foster care isn't just always adoption or permanence through adoption. The goal of foster care is also reconciling families. And I love it when these families are reconciled. And I love it when we see these these kids get back into their homes and not only their reconciliation, but these families begin to attend church and begin to seek God and to seek his ways. Beloved, we need to be about the reconciling presence of God. That leads us to our fifth and final point. We wholeheartedly know that all work without the gospel is absolutely futile. David says this, even before Jesus had come on the scene in verse 23, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David knew that there was something far greater than this earthly life. He had an inkling of the goodness of God. And beloved, there is no life outside of the God of Jacob. Justice that we do for the orphan and the widow and the vulnerable family must never be divorced from gospel proclamation. Our homes, our neighborhoods, our pocketbooks, and our influence will never make up the everlasting change in the hearts and the lives of the fatherless and the vulnerable. But the gospel, the gospel will bring everlasting hope and victory. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this, Working together with him then, I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. We live in a day of great patience and grace. God is wanting to reconcile the world to himself. But this day of salvation will not last forever but only in the amount of time which the Father has appointed. And when the day of salvation is over, a day of judgment and justice will arrive. And so, beloved, there's urgency to preach the gospel. There's urgency to preach the gospel to those who are perishing. There's urgency to manifest the gospel to the 153 million orphans of the world and the half a million kids in U.S. foster care. Let us be hearkened by this mission to preach this glorious gospel. You see, if we just put a taste of the world on the lips of the vulnerable, then we've really done nothing. But when we begin to take the gospel and bring the gospel to bear, that's when we see true life change begin to happen. And so we preach, we teach, we go, we show the gospel, we show this glorious truth on Orphan Sunday. This is not just about doing good. This is about showing the gospel. We care because we've been transformed. And we go in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the way we care for the vulnerable. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. You are kind and gentle to us. 
Oh, Lord, thank you that you know us intimately, and yet you still seek after us. Lord, we thank you that we cannot escape your presence. But, Lord, I pray that these truths that we have heard from your word in Psalm 139 would ultimately well up in us a response to make the gospel known to the orphan, to the vulnerable woman and the vulnerable family. Oh, God, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so on this Orphan Sunday, I pray for those that are in this room that you would light up the way that you would have them to respond. How can we care for the vulnerable? How can we care for the widow? How can we care for the orphan? And Lord, I pray that we would not see these big numbers, 153 million orphans or half a million kids in foster care and be rendered helpless because it's such a vast and a huge issue. But Lord, help us to be faithful for those that are right in front of us. Help us to be faithful for the one that you're calling us to make a difference for. Because, Lord, when your people, when your body of Christ is faithful for the one, then we begin to see a manifold vision of what you can do through your people and through your church. Oh, God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in your great name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music